Welcome back to another episode of The Web3 Show. It's episode 27, and as always, I'm joined with my crypto entourage, Galactic Q, the up-and-coming crypto influencer, the newest kid on the block, doing another keynote uh, at some point this week. He's got a weekly keynote lined up, I, I hear. Uh, got his red pulls as usual, and he tells us he's got a juicy market update as well. And as always, the... The man who sits on Wall Street, our representative, your guy in TradFi, the man who single-handedly handed Duquan over to the authorities. <laughs> that's all. That's all alleged at the moment. We'll get. We'll get to that. Uh, there's apparently there's been some breaking news, but he's with us as well. Uh, about to drop some, drop some insane technical knowledge on why metaverse is the the next big thing i know it's his favorite topic uh right today we we've got a we've got a juicy episode we'll be breaking down the state of crypto a16z released a new 2022 state of crypto and we'll be we'll be chatting about that there's some ethereum stuff there's some tether stuff there's some market stuff as always we're still uh we're still licking our wounds from the terror implosion and uh you know bitcoin going all the way down to 25k at the moment, obviously, we don't really know where we are. Q's going to get into the market update now. Um, Q, maybe just provide us with some some alpha here. Where are we? It seems we've been we, we sort of got back up to thirty k ish for Bitcoin, and we've sort of been range bound around twenty nine thirty. So, where do we find ourselves currently in the market? Yeah, well, well, firstly, just to all our viewers, please join the Discord because I put literally all the charts and everything that I talk about in these market updates are all there for you to see and visualize. Um, so it'll, it'll really help you guys, you know, and we can chat there further and all of that. And the man drops um, alpha, absolute alpha. <laughs> it's a fun space to be guys. Definitely, definitely come check it out. I mean, it is called alpha squad. It's yeah. not, uh, that's not for, uh, not for, that's not a joke. Not a joke, yeah. And it's it's a free server as well, guys. So there's no like requirements from your side. You can just come and be there. Um, anyways, let's let's dive in. So, just looking on the on the macro, guys. Over the uh, last week and the week before, I mentioned the the possibility of tagging our 200 uh, week EMA and SNA. Uh, so what we did have in on the Terra Luna dip week is we got a tag of that 200 week EMA, and since then we've been consolidating down towards that level. Now. The bottom could very well be in if we consider, you know, a couple of different analysis methods on a medium term time frame. But we are in quite an uncertain economic condition at the moment. And a further drawdown from here is very possible as well. So the kind of expectation on the market right now is in the short term, I'm expecting a swing low for a double bottom at 25K. If we get that you know, there's, there's definitely going to be possibility of relief rallies. But ultimately, what we're in at the moment is a bear market. And, you know, th th there's no chance that we're not in a bear market. You know, there, there are a lot of guys on Twitter talking about these bullish 2017 fractals and things like that. And, you know, while that's good and while there is a super interesting bear market fractal from 2018, which I'll touch on shortly, the fact of the matter is that the first time we're going into a recession, it's the first time crypto is experiencing a recession. Sorry. So what's important to note here is we're in a very different macro setup. So a lot of fractals from previous cycles are kind of invalid because we don't know how a lot of this, you know, a lot of these indicators and stuff will hold. We don't even know if historical moving averages will hold going through this uncertain period because, again, this is uncharted territory for risk on crypto assets. So just looking at our risk and a couple on-chain metrics and things like that, Bitcoin has room to come down. And I do think that the ultimate bottoming out zone for this bear market move will be around the 20 to 22K region. And that's where I'll be looking to load up a lot of, a lot, on a lot of Bitcoin, basically. But what is very important to note here is that dominance favors Bitcoin. And while dominance favors Bitcoin, altcoins will, breathe, will bleed. And as Benjamin Cohen tweeted last night, don't be irresponsible and let your friends buy altcoins right now. You know, basically 
things are going to bleed. Bitcoin is the play to be in. So my suggestion would be look to BCA into Bitcoin as we go down. Um, right now on the short term and like the lower time frames, we are looking for a move to the downside, especially considering we didn't get the daily close at 30,300 last night. We lost that level. We're now currently sitting just around 29K and I'm expecting a move at some point today down to those low 20K levels. Now, there's four events that we got to look out for today, tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday happening in the traditional world. Firstly, today we've got new home sales. So basically the housing market reports coming out today. It's unclear how we're going to react to this, but if it's negative, I'm going to assume we're going to dump. Wednesday, we've got the FOMC, so the Fed meeting minutes announcement. We either going to see a dovish stance from the Fed, which is what the market expected yesterday, hence the push up in stocks. If we get a dovish stance, we could easily see the 2018 fractal, which I'll touch on shortly, play out, which is quite a nice relief rally, which would be a great opportunity for you to exit over leveraged positions. If we get a, a very hawkish stance and the Fed decides to continue the aggressive interest rate hikes, we're likely to capitulate down to those low 20s very quickly. So that's tomorrow's uh, FOMC minutes. Then on Thursday, we've got the GDP revision data. If GDP is showing further decline, expect a dump. If GDP is actually positive and climbing, expect a pump. And then finally on Friday, we've got the CPE inflation data launching. So, and we, we know how the market reacts to inflation. We're all very accustomed with the CPI data. So essentially, we've got four macro traditional events. And while Bitcoin looks like a bottom is in, stock markets can dump a further 5 to 10% from here, which means Bitcoin will dump a further 20, 30% from here, which puts it at those low 20K levels, possibly even down to 19K. Now, if we look at the 2018 fractal, which I've referred to a few times, I posted a chart on Alpha Squad. You guys can see it there. Please look at the Discord. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But essentially what we had in 2018 was when we had the initial fall off from the highs, we started to form a new trend line, which ended up being a bear market, a bearish continuation pattern. And this was an ascending trend line, which eventually became a channel. And we put three touches on that ascending trend line, putting in three higher lows, bouncing off and getting rejected at the 200-day moving average. We then had a huge rejection, crashed down, and put in a new lower low before coming back up to retest that trend line. Now, what we have today is the exact same scenario. You know, over the past couple of weeks, we saw exact same trend line ascending from the fall off from all-time highs. We had three touches on the trend line before breaking down and putting in this lower low at 25K. Now, a very possible scenario if this fractal does play out is a relief rally to 38K. Now, like I said, if we get that relief rally, please use it as an exit liquidity position because there is a long way to go for this bear market. And I believe we're going to be in this sort of murky water, like kind of negative sentiments in the market until August, September this year when the Fed decides to properly pivot. So essentially, just to break it down, guys, short term, I'm bearish. I'm short on the market. Medium term, I'm looking to DCA. Long term, beautiful buy zones. Nice. And Q, is it, is it fair to say, um, well, actually, I had, a, I had a question first. I mean, it's it's an interesting change of tone for you. Also talking about, you know, traditional market events and stuff. Is that because... You know, it may seem fairly obvious, obviously, but is that because in times of greater uncertainty, does are you generally seeing more of a correlation with crypto between crypto and the traditional markets? Like, when when do we expect for that to separate, or is that always just going to be a phenomenon of crypto? Well, the thing is, I think it's more correlation between risk on versus risk off. Risk on assets being all volatile assets, whether that's yeah, stock markets, enough. you know, in any of those kind of volatile assets where risk off is cash is king, you know, or gold to an extent. Um, so I think it's more correlation in that sense. But right now, people know and 
a lot of people actually don't realize, sorry, that crypto is a very speculative space. It is completely speculative, speculation driven. Look at the NFT market, you know, how you have these crazy floor valuations and all of that. So what we can expect here is a strong correlation to how stock markets react because people are speculating. You know, there, there isn't a lot of institutional conviction in crypto besides a couple of companies that have added to the balance sheet like Michael Saylor and those guys. Um, but that kind of institutional confidence is coming. And I think over the next couple of years, we'll see a strong decoupling from the stock markets and things like that. But right now we know that risk on assets are very dangerous. And with that, all risk on assets are coming down. And that is largely being led by traditional market factors and macroeconomic factors rather than internal crypto uh, conditions. Yeah, and that, and that makes sense. I wanted to ask, do you think the markets have properly shaken off by now everything that happened with Terra and UST and that implosion? One would think, you know, the, the relief up to 30K, you know, for Bitcoin maybe indicates that. Um, and maybe just touch on, uh, give an update on what's actually happening with Terra because uh, I haven't been following, but you guys are deep in the weeds. You guys are becoming like investigative uh, journalists following this whole thing with <laughs> Duquan. So maybe touch on that as well. Yeah, well, well, firstly, just, just uh, talking about retail and things like that, I think retail has been flushed. So I do not think that there are a lot of sellers left in this market. Um, you know, we largely seen that in a lot of the volume. It's not even comparable to the volume we experienced in the previous rallies. Um, you know, so we, we are seeing a lot of negative sentiments and we have seen negative sentiment. I mean, what? Bitcoin just closed its eighth weekly candle in a row yesterday. That's the first time in history it's ever had eight weekly red candles. So there is a ton of negative sentiment. Fear and greed is sub 10 um, you know, we're looking at the risk to reward on Bitcoin. We entering the lower quartiles. I mean, the lo the lower ten percent bands. You know, Bitcoin is currently sitting at sub zero point three on its risk to reward base. Bitcoin has only ever spent six percent of its history in those levels, like that low. And usually, that's indicated bottoms. And you know, when there's a lot of blood in the streets you know, uneducated money or retail money run for the hills. And that's fact. And I think a lot of retail gone. What I do think is left in the space is guys like us, guys like institutional investors and guys like opportunists that are looking for trade potentials. And I think it's very easy to long significant supports. We know that that 200-day EMA was a strong support and we whipped off that perfectly. We had a strong bounce back up to 30K. And now we're consolidating down. And I, I think we will continue to consolidate down to that 200-week SMA at 22K. Um, and I think we're going to get a long consolidation period at that point. But any relief rallies from here will be whales looking for liquidation hunts because a lot of people will begin to go short on the market and whales will look to short squeeze, which will give us that relief. And then a lot of people are going to go long in the market and the bigger players will look to liquidate those longs by capitulating down again. So we're in institutional territory right now, and that's probably how it's going to be for the next couple of months until macro conditions fizzle out. Good time to accumulate. Luca, uh, you've been uh, sitting silently, meditatively on the on the sidelines. Is uh, is Duquan going to get done here for some cyber crimes and basically getting chased down by all the police? Or what? <laughs> all different types, cyber, you know, federal whoever what's what's uh what have you been seeing has been happening with duquan and and terra and what are what are sort of the, the allegations that you're seeing yeah well doubts are starting to emerge that uh he's acted in accordance with his public statements so that includes his statement to have used lfg's reserves to defend the peg um the main allegation there is basically that that, that the Bitcoin was never spent. Um, that would be the biggest, I would say. Um, but among many, and many kind of, uh, I guess, move over into the kind of co co conspiracy side uh, of things, what we do know um, is that it's very likely something uh, went wrong. <laughs> 
uh, it, it, well, not went wrong. It's 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 quite likely that uh, there was a, a kind of miscommunication uh, because I don't see all this activity happening if there's nothing behind it, right? Like if 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 LFG had acted in accordance with their public statements and Duquan had uh, you know been consistent with that as well, um, it's unlikely we would be seeing as much activity there right now so basically i I think we're not sure um, to what extent um, crimes were committed um, but probably someone's uh, head is going to go on the chopping block i think for sure what uh, maybe just a quick update for for our listeners Uh, the the uh, south korean uh, cyber police uh, are investigating and have frozen the corporate assets of um, the Lunar Foundation card. Well, they've they've asked exchanges to freeze them, and that, that's quite an extraordinary step um, to take. So I think we can definitely count on uh, some sort of case emerging that uh, Duquan will have to fight. Yeah. That, just to that put that into cost. context, just one more point. Sorry, maybe just one Perfect. more point. That is the cost. Um, of a god complex, right? He wielded ultimate power over this uh, lunar foundation god and over the fates of the Terra network, one could argue. Uh, and so he ultimately will be held responsible. So to put it into context, I'm not saying this is like Terra or Terra Luna and UST was a complete Ponzi scheme. But at the peak of Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme when he got bust, his portfolio was worth $50 billion. If this turns out, if the implosion of terror at the end of this turns out to be, <laughs> turns out to be a, like, you know, sort of he gets charged with defrauding investors. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Q, Terra and UST collectively were, was an $80 billion market cap at, at its peak. No, it was around 47, 48, I think it was. Together, together though? Yeah, combined. It was around 47, oh, 48 billion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. I thought it was 40 it billion. Was, may, maybe around 60, 70 if you include all the ecosystem Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Dependencies. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, the yeah. ecosystem dependencies are definitely around 70 billion. You're right, Luca. Yeah, so I mean, um, the, 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 that amount of value destruction is, is you know, consistent with the biggest Ponzi's we've ever, we've ever known that have come out. And, uh, th- that was obviously there, there was real dollars and real value actually attached to for the, for the large part. Whereas, you know, Madoff is probably a bad, uh, comparison cause that was all fake and fake trades. It was just on paper. Uh, but it's, it's yeah. mind blowing actually. It, it, it I mean, is. For, and I mean, what's me, interesting what... is, yeah, John's go for it. No, no, I, I just wanted to, to highlight one of the tweet threads by Fatman Terad. I'm sure viewers will be, you know, accustomed with his account. He's been kind of exposing all the, the Terra FUD, um, you know, from apparently reputable sources. Um, obviously, this is all alleged information until actually proven. But I just want to quickly read one of his threads, which kind of, <laughs> you know, highlights that there's maybe a lot more that users don't know. So... Fat Man Terror tweet, I'm just going to quickly read it. In the past 48 hours, I've been contacted by several whistleblowers. These people would like to and will stay anonymous. I've learned some deeply troubling things and there's a lot more to come. This is just the very beginning. Here's what I can tell you. Duquan, I know about the bailout from Jump in 2021 and I know exactly how much you owe them every month in Luna. Hint, how many zeros in a million? Jump, I know exactly what you did to manipulate retail into losing billions of UST, but especially Luna. Uh, Kanav Korea, I know who controls you behind the scenes. I know about your Slack group having a 14-day retention window. SBF, the underscore FTX, I know about the 30% serum handshake deal with Jump and what you did to retail investors after. There's far more that I cannot say, but know that I know and know that justice is coming. Because this time I think you went too far. This time you killed people. Someone has to fight for them. If I go, someone will take my place. This is nothing just to start. It's go time. It sounds like you're reading an extract from The Lord of the Rings before they summit Mount yeah. Doom. <laughs> I, 
Actually, and I'm going to say, right, the lunatics were obviously like a borderline psychotic community. And now if they rally up against the <laughs> Tuquan and the institutions, it's going to be a bloodbath, right? I mean, well, those well, guys, just, they just fell on their sorry, own just, swords. Just highlighting that cult mentality. Did you see how much Luna was sent to that random wallet that all lunatics thought was burning Luna? Yes. It was, it was something like over 240 million Luna was sent to that burner wallet. You know, before Duquan made a statement saying, hey, guys, sending Luna to this wallet is not actually burning it. You know, you, you're not doing anything to the supply. That's insane. Um, <laughs> even, even though 240 million Luna is like $10 at this at this stage collectively. But yeah, let, let's be honest, guys, I sold, I sold my, my Terrapin Luna NFT for 1.7 million Luna two days ago. Um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, boys, I'll be retiring. $100. Or was that $100 or something? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's still more to come with that. Um, and you'll, you'll hear it here first uh, when, when, it, when the news does break. But it's, it's crazy to witness Duquan's fall from grace, you know, being – we were even calling him – the Elon Musk of crypto a couple and we then a couple were. of weeks later we were, hey, we were. A couple of weeks later this implosion happened. So it's it's crazy to see how things can turn. Um but boys, where do we want to go next? Do we want to talk Ethereum merge? Sorry, uh, I just have one more one more concern I want to bring up. Uh just read Terra quickly <laughs> before we move on. If you don't if you don't mind. If you don't mind, just <laughs> go for it, please. The one concern I have about IRL investigations happening and the freezing of LFG is are they going to be able to guarantee that UST payback for smallholders? Because there was originally this promise that the remaining LFG funding will be used to pay back and make whole small UST holders, guys that got wrecked the most, basically. Now, freezing those assets will not allow them to do that. Whether they were going to or not, I mean, that was also alleged, but... It's just a concern, you know, there, there's this new vote for, you know, a governance proposal on this new Terra ecosystem launch with all these airdrops and stuff. I think a lot of that will be affected now that these funds have been frozen. Um, uh, absolutely. Absolutely, John. Yeah, I think the, I think the, um, the idea to, so, so it, I, I guess when the, the, the whole Madoff Ponzi thing collapsed, um, you know, small investors received pretty much a dollar for a dollar and the large um, large stakeholders got maybe 70 cents on the dollar. Um, the idea, again, was to do something parallel here um, with UST, where effectively um, terminal holders of the token, so people that are still holding uh, to this day, effectively, uh, would receive pretty much a dollar on the dollar um, from the LFG reserves. And uh, someone did some analysis on this and, you know, maybe 99 point whatever percent um, of USD holders could be made whole like this. Um, their, their losses could be recovered. But, of course, if the corporate assets are frozen, uh, there's no way that's moving forwards, right? Um, so I guess in terms of kind of remedial airdrops, uh, you'll just have to hope for, <laughs> for Luna and uh, Luna Classic to recoup some of those uh, losses. That governance proposal should actually uh, have passed yesterday, I believe. Um, yeah. And then includes, guys, I mean, so if, you, if you were affected and you had uh, AUST, so that's the staking derivative of UST if you're using Anchor Protocol, uh, at the time of the attack, um, you will be airdropped um, the new Luna token, a certain proportion of the supply. Um, yeah. yeah. I, th I think it was it was calculated. Um, at a, it's around thirty three percent of your AUST value will be dropped in the new Luna token if it has a new valuation of a billion dollars on launch. Which you know there, there, there's going to be intense vesting schedules. From what I've heard, it's like six month cliff with two year unlocks and stuff like that. So I don't know if there'll be massive sell pressure. I know it's fifteen percent TGE. So we might see some initial crash, but uh, who knows? Maybe maybe it could revive no, the cycle and, and people the key, could end up making a lot. Yeah, and the key point is with this, maybe just to, <laughs> of course, uh, you know, the, the branding is still Luna. So everyone might be thinking, well, uh, is this Duquan version 2? Well, um, LFG are cut out from the uh, drop, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the... It's, it will be completely decentralized ownership, effectively, of the new Terra chain. 
But guys, does this not just like, is this not the final nail in the coffin of Duquan? Like, it, surely you can't come back from this. I mean, we, we thought, we knew it was going to be tough from the get-go, but with a criminal investigation underway and, you know, there's other, other stuff going on. No, it's, no, uh, I agree. He wrote the know. report, Rico. I mean, I mean, the proposal. He, yeah. he literally put the nails in his coffin, basically. He's done. Yeah, so I mean, how can I, you come I, back I think, from this? I think it is so crucial, guys, that, that that developer community survives. Because the innovation of those devs yeah. was phenomenal. I mean, look at, look at Mars. I mean, Mars was looking to revolutionize DeFi in the credit space. Like one of the first protocols to actually ever tackle quite a complex traditional banking financial tool, essentially, you know, and not even a month after they completed their lock drop, they had to refund everyone's liquidity in UST and they basically shut down. And I saw the latest tweet from them yesterday that they're now looking to launch on a new chain. But, you know, there, there were so many of these innovative DeFi protocols that, you know, spent years developing um, and yeah, they, they got wildly affected. So, so I know Astroport, for example, which was quite a popular DEX before the crash, they're relaunching on the new Terra and they're going to be doing a big token airdrop as well to their holders that are still holding on to the Astroport tokens and things like that. But I think it's essential, you know, UST falls away. I mean, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Like for me, the value for Luna was derived from decentralized stable coins. It's, it's now essentially just going to become another layer one. It's going to be tough to compete with the established L1s like Polkadot and, you know, uh, Solana and, and these other chains. I mean, Solana don't have that overhang. Yeah. yeah, they don't have the overhang. Exactly. I mean, I know Solana is taking a bit of a <laughs> social beating at the moment. Um, it's basically become a nine to five bank. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I, think, I think ecosystems like Polkadot and stuff like that are incredibly undervalued and i think the new terra luna will really struggle to compete with the innovation of say dot with its interoperability and i think cosmos is going to struggle as well from this because of the overhang of terra using its sdks so i think there's going to be a lot of rippling effects still and i don't know if terra luna its new value will be derived well but i just think it's essential that those developers survive and those protocols survive I mean, look, I mean, you know, did you, did you guys see Mars is up 300% after that announcement? Yeah, I saw. <laughs> 300% from what level, though? Yeah, 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 of course. But I'm just saying, <laughs> like, I'm point. just saying that, zero, I'm just zero, saying, zero, zero, zero. all I'm yeah, saying is the, the highs, <laughs> all I'm saying, the market is reacting to the, like, the, the, there's no confidence in Terra. And I just think that there's the, fi- the final nail in the coffin has been cast. I mean, one uh, one interesting thing now, if you look at the market and you say, well, you know, one of the biggest decentralized stable coins was just wiped out, um, that leaves a bit of a vacuum, actually. Um, and um, on the on the obviously, Polkadot has been up and running with its parachains, right? So projects have launched their platforms, um, and Akala, which is basically kind of like a DeFi platform on Polkadot, they've got their decentralized stablecoin which is over collateralized AUSD and it's going to be really interesting to see you know now that this uh, Goliath has been slain um, what comes in the wake right and that will be huge opportunity again you know we had this crazy value accrual to the Luna token um, because of the the growth in UST right if we start seeing I mean I, what I'm trying to say is there's huge opportunity Right, if you start seeing other decentralized stablecoins picking up, particularly ecosystems lending themselves well to the new uh, world order in DeFi, so to speak, uh, the value accrual to those tokens and that ecosystem will be immense. Because I think, it, you know, you you cannot argue against the fact that UST underpinned basically a broad market desire for decentralized money. So, Luca, you're advocating for more for more algorithmic. Decentralized stable coins? Or are you saying the, no, no, the, the, the engineering is, just needs to be better? Well, what I'm saying is decentralized stable coins. I'm just, um, I'm just throwing them all in one bucket and saying, you know, right. now that UST is gone, basically, right? There's a huge market that needs to be filled effectively, and that the market opportunity in that sense for other ecosystems 
uh, for other projects like Akala and the AUSD stablecoin is big, basically. Well, I mean, that was also an interesting point, which I maybe maybe good transition while we're on stablecoins. Um, just about A16Z's state of crypto 2022 state of crypto report, especially the you know the stable within the stablecoin section, they had an amazing graphic just about you know how stablecoins rack up against the total money supply by country, and it's literally I mean all stablecoins the you know the 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 collective market cap value of all stable coins in the world are literally, I think it's more than 20 X away from, you know, the United States, just the United States, the total money, money supply value, you know, in that, in the country, I think it's like the U S is 20 trillion all stable coins, 171 billion. So it's like, you can't even compare. It's not even, it's not 20 X. I mean, it's, it's hundreds, hundreds of X. So, to me, that was, you know, thinking from a from a big sort of, a, you know, a high level, there's your opportunity. You know, I, I think we've, I don't know who said this, but I think someone said recently that, you know, stable coins are, are potentially the killer app of crypto, you know, using the, using the, using blockchain technology with a dollar equivalent, which is sort of the most approachable thing for anyone coming into crypto. And, you know, there's, there's your opportunity, the global money supply. And of that, you know, the two biggest, we still have Tether and USDC. You know, obviously, UST was was up and coming. Um, but I don't know where, what are your guys' perspectives on that? Obviously, those are just the, the facts. Any any takes on, you know, is DAI going to become the next? Well, I mean, they are probably, they are the biggest now algorithmic stable coin. Um any comments on that, uh, you know, they, they're, they're comparison? They're not algorithmic, Luca. They, yeah, they're they, backed they, by debt. Yeah, they're collateralized by debt. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. so they're Thanks not, for fact-checking me. UST yeah. was basically thin air. So in, it was, in, a, same, yeah. in a similar way to how basically um, sovereign currencies today are thin air. Effective. It's all trust-based. UST was the same. There was just a market force, basically, there... Um, the minting burning mechanism effectively, which was helping helping it maintain peg, because right? it's it's, all, it's it's not as much yeah. of a regulated market. Yeah, but I, I think I think the 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 tether drawdown really scared a lot of people. You know, after UST had its depeg, we saw tether lose its peg down to ninety four cents, and you know reclaim it fairly quickly within the day. Um, but we saw, I think it was like a $15 billion withdrawal of market cap value um, at the time uh, for the Tether token. And th this kind of highlighted quite a, con a large concern in the community. Tether FUD has been present for, you know, basically the last like five years <laughs> um, or, or four years or whatever it's been now. At what point does that FUD implode? You know, at what point does Tether implode? Like we, we know that according to Tether's financials, they've been pretty transparent about how they've backed their, their, their tokens and, and how they maintain the peg one to one. But at the end of the day, you know, again, we have to trust the team that's, that's, that's been, you know, through numerous lawsuits and things like that. So I do think from this, we'll see the birth, well, not the birth, but the, the, the growth of coins like USDC and DAI, which, you know, USDC specifically, which is backed one-to-one, -one, um, I think those sort of coins are going to take preference. And we've largely seen that in the dominance shift. If you look at USDT's dominance versus USDC's dominance in the market, you know, USDC is making much larger moves than USDT is, or at least against USDT, showing a, a, a complete money flow from Tether to other stable coins that, you know, can be perceived as a lot more secure. And John, it's like, I mean, you're speaking as if the tether implosion is, is going to happen at some, at some stage, you know, and then they've, it's a, I mean, you can only imagine, we, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago saying that I think if, if tether, you know, imploded, that would be catastrophic. I think that's $80 well, billion dollars wiped, wiped well, off the face of crypto. It's not just $80 billion. It's how many DeFi protocols. Everything locked up. Yeah. Yeah. USDT, yeah. 
So, so I think I think the biggest drawdown from that would be probably a six thousand dollar Bitcoin price evaluation again, if we had to see a, a tether liquidation, um, which would be the most ultimate buy opportunity. I just want to put it out there <laughs> for sure. But I think, geez, the, if we're talking about blood on the streets now, like I think that's like World War Three nuclear fallout. That's Putin fine firing news, yeah, bro. Yeah. And, and by the way, I forgot to mention, uh, boys. Thanks for fact checking me. That's why you guys are here. Uh, my my ignorance ignorance shining through. So thanks for fact checking me on die. Um, but yeah, I mean, time, I know. Well, I have to. I apologize. <laughs> Q, you must you you're gonna you're gonna moderate next next week. So I'm I'm oh, giving sorry. up my role. I don't know if I can handle that pressure. Yes, there you go. <laughs> you do, there you, you go. Do such a good job with those intros. They just get more fire every week. Oh, I don't think I could ever thanks, bro. Thanks, bro. Appreciate <laughs> it. Well, look, I think wrapping that segment up, there's there's an opportunity with stable coins. If you even look at this graph, I don't. If, if you guys are looking at the the report graph, you know they're small. I mean, you say smaller slide, in quotation slide, marks, but slide number thirty five, right in the deck. Uh, just a tiny yes. Of the yes. Supply, yeah. Yes. I'm. Graphic. I'm saying. I was saying smaller countries in quotation marks. You know, because you're talking about Germany, the UK, France. You know, the top European countries. It, it seems that sta- the stablecoin market cap is sort of in reach. You know, their money supply three trillion each. Um, that's. I guess that's more of the opportunity. You know, um, the US. I think probably just because of the. The money printer was going brr for the past, you know, four, three, four years. <laughs> well, that it's it, got, that it's six, inflated. Six, wasn't it like sixty percent of the M two uh, supply was permit or printed in the last two years or something? Or yeah, 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 yeah. Something yeah. ridiculous. Correct, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, ridiculous, it's, it's, I guess. it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's scary, man. But John's, what did you? Uh, any other takes or comments from this report? What did we? I mean, what's what's your uh, what's your state of state of crypto uh, looking well, like I mean, at the moment compared to A16Zs? You know, you know, I'm an ultimate uh, uh, crypto bull. Um, so, <laughs> but but one one thing that I I like highlights a lot for me, and, and what is quite a strong value proposition is you know how there's low, lower take rates. So I know they had a very interesting graphic on lower take rates than internet giants for creators. And I think, you know, with, with the millennial shift with, you know, Gen Z and, and all these kind of users becoming more reliant on social media and content creators and influencers and things like that, you know, I think this whole, like, a more nurturing environment for content creators is essential. And I think Web3 is offering that. And, you know, I mean, this, this graphic showed, you know, for example, NFT platforms, OpenSea has a 2.5% fee where iTunes, I mean, App Store takes 30%, YouTube takes 45%, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram take almost 100% of what content creators make. And it just goes to show how much people are used as product in Web2. And I think Web3 has such a driving narrative for reversing that from corporation control to people control, where you're actually getting valued correctly for the content you create, whether it be decentralized applications, whether it be NFTs, whether it be, you know, influencer videos or posts or things like that, whatever you end up doing as a creator in Web3, you know, I think you're you're largely more valued, you know, your, your fair valuation is more, you know, in line in Web3 than it actually is in Web2. And I, I thought that was a super interesting take from the A16Z report. Yeah, hundred percent, and it's it's underpinned by the next slide where you see that the the average creator, you know, in NFTs is making literally a hundred, a hundred x, a hundred more more than a hundred x because it's literally, you know, you're making one hundred seventy four thousand dollars average per creator on in NFTs versus four hundred and five average per channel on YouTube. Four hundred and five dollars versus one hundred seventy four thousand dollars, which is, averages, is like that's crazy. And averages often, obviously, often hide like the distribution of outcomes, right? Like John T, do you want to run us through the uh, V um, Gary V's? Um, yes, Gary Gary yeah. V's drop because that that was stunning, actually. Yeah, well, that was the pre-product order drop. You talking about? Yes, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so essentially what, what brands are starting to notice now is that NFTs can be used as a massive driving force for pre-market sales. So essentially, Gary Vee highlighted this with his VFriends um, NFT drop where he launched his new book. I can't remember the name of the book right now, but it'll come to me. But essentially, he launched a pre-order campaign for his new book. And what he did was he selected a specific 24-hour window where he stated that anyone who purchased 12 or more of his books would receive a free VFriends NFT. And we know that some of those NFTs sold for over $1.7, $1.8 million. Floor is currently currently 8.3 ETH. So what, $17,000 floor. That's insane. So what ended up happening is the average pre-order was 36 books, three VFriend NFTs. And he ended up having to push back his launch date by three weeks due to the demand of these books and how many. One guy even bought over a thousand of his books. And this is all pre-market sales before actual cost has gone into developing or publishing the book. This was all done just to gauge interest. And this is driving quite a strong narrative for a lot of brands to basically use this as an opportunity to one, generate cash flow prior to product development, which means it's an easy way to raise capital to develop a product, to gauge interest before developing a product. If the NFT drop is a fail, it saves them the time and the money of actually building out the product. And three, just generates cash flow. You know, it's, 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 it's huge. It's a massive opportunity. And Gary Vee highlighted that with his book sale. It was, it was incredible. But Q, obviously then we, you know, on the flip side of that being devil's advocate, we have seen the dark side of that where, you know, exactly how you said it, you know, you, you do a capital raise, essentially a, a social capital raise, raise with an NFT project before you launch your real product or, you know, whatever it might be. A lot of these projects have virtue signaled to do that and then run for the hills once they've gotten the capital. So Yeah, but but yeah. that's but that that we're talking strictly inexperienced cash grab opportunists looking to drop NFT collections based on influencer followers and use their whole Yes, yes, of course. Exit. Like what I'm getting at more here is established brands, for example. Oh, you're, talk, you're talking strictly about established brands, yeah, not talk- up and coming Yeah, creators. exactly. I'm, I'm talking about the adoption of traditional business into NFTs right now. This is becoming quite a popular thing. Look at Adidas, you know, doing their into the metaverse drop, you know, buying one of their NFTs who received a real world product. They raised $23 million of that sale, major cash flow. Then they developed the product for the physical items. And that was successful. You know, it's a reputable brand. People can trust. People use. It's been around for years. Similar to Nike, similar to Stella Artois, similar to Gucci, and all these other brands doing these sort of drops. And I think, yes, there's always going to be an issue with raising capital and then developing product because the center incentives misaligned. But I think for established brands, this is a huge opportunity and niche. But but Q, it's it's you know it's I, I said it I think a few episodes ago probably like you know ten or fifteen episodes ago when we were t- chatting about NFTs metaverse all of that stuff the biggest winners I still believe in Web three could be those big brands they have that established trust you know if Marvel comes to the table with an NFT project you're not you're not going to be worried that Marvel are going to rug you they don't need to they can make a Doctor Strange movie and make a billion dollars. Like, that's no problem for them, right? So I, I think that, like, what, what, you're, what you're getting at is spot on, is that these big brands, they have the trust. They can ship the products. They have the infrastructure, and they can do this sort of stuff. So, you know, there's the opportunity. I think um, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing opportunity. And you still, I, th- I still think the model for up-and-coming, you know, startups or you know up and coming creators still needs to be refined with with nfts how how you develop trust i mean we you know we're going to have to discover that as we bring up the, sh- the you know the brand of the show and you know how how do we not you know forfeit our trust to our audience so that's that's something we're going to have to grapple with as well i think but it's it's definitely going to be an interesting interesting time 100% and I, I, something else that I thought was quite interesting from the A16 report is their point number three, which is basically crypto having real world impact. Just looking at banking sectors, 
So uh, for, for those that don't know, it's, it's estimated that around 1.7 billion people don't have access to banking. And decentralized finance is looking to correct that. And essentially, the analysis done here by A16Z was that, you know, they, they stated that DeFi could represent 31, the, the 31st largest U.S. bank by management. Well, it, it, it currently does. Um, and it's just quite Which is wild, by the way. Which is wild. And I mean, it's, it's very interesting to see, like, you know, decentralized finance is a progressing technology. It's got the capability to give financial freedom to many people, not just the guys who are early making money off opportunities, but for people that don't actually have any access to banking systems because there are too many barriers to, of entry. Right. You just need a mobile device or a smartphone or a laptop. That's all you need. And most users in the world have some form of smart device. You need an internet connection and you're good to go. And again, John's like, is there not, you know, I mean, we've seen so again, like I just, I don't know. I think I I feel like the whole implosion of terror and, 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 uh, you know, Luna UST has made me just like, question everything <laughs> and i don't know I, I i have a feeling luca may feel this feel the same way and I, I know how he is um, actually, you know, yeah. sorry luca go for it well i was saying i was saying is this is actually something like a, a philosophical issue i've been struggling with a lot because uh it's like confirmation bias right like it it looks too good to be true and that's the case for many things in crypto and then you get burnt and then you're more sure the next time, right? And I think after this, it's going to be really hard for me to <laughs> for me to uh, trust applications again. You know. Um, it, and Luca, this is really the thing, right? Um, you know, we covered Sifu and um, you know that yeah. whole thing with with Wonderland, um, Wonderland Fire, whatever whatever it was that Frog, that platform explosion. <laughs> frog nation we we've seen you know danny sester we've seen so many other hack, hacks like basically on my you know my coin gecko newsletter that i subscribe to every single week there's a new DeFi hack or whatever like you said too good to be true you know the rates in DeFi, that 20 percent on anchor is what ultimately created the ponzi scheme right <laughs> and, yeah. and so even you know even though like you know the the report lays it out so beautifully and I, and I think this is what Luca you're getting to is, you know, A16Z's report lays it out so beautifully like, oh, yes, you know, this, this is the opportunity. DeFi is the 31st biggest bank with, uh, by assets under management. There's the opportunity. It, it all looks so great. But then you sort of look under the belly and they're all of these sort of scars. So I, 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 I'm, well, well, I'm also struggling I, with whether, you know. Sorry, Keith. No, I, th- I think I think there's there needs to be a, a clear distinction between degenerative yield farming <laughs> and financial tools. I think there needs to be a very clear void between those. Anchor Protocol was degenerate yield farming. It, it became, became that. It became that. that right? It was. It was it the benchmark that. DeFi rate. Like I would argue yeah, very much but, against but, that. It was like degenerate in any way. I think that's why the trust was broken. So. Yeah. Strongly, I mean, it was like we believed in Duquan, we believed in Terra and UST and this twenty percent. I mean, sure, I, I didn't go all in on the platform, but um, partially all. Even in. the even the stars come crashing down. Yeah, basically. But 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 and, and I agree with you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, what I'm trying to just the point I'm trying to make here is that you know there, there's there's a level where a user will put money into, for example, a Strike account and use the Lightning Network for consumer-to-merchant payments like Jack Mallers is making accessible versus a user that's going to take funds and lock it in various DeFi protocols on different layer one ecosystems searching for the biggest deal. There's a very big difference between the type of consumer that we're dealing with. And I think mass global adoption would be focused on payments and storage of funds and access to funds rather than looking for yield opportunities. Most people don't even know what the banks give them as fucking yield in their bank accounts. People don't care about that. I think it's speaking. a, I think it's a fair point that, you know, maybe the, the underlying technology versus the applications distinction. Uh, but I will say that 
I, I think the rates arbitrage between traditional markets and crypto is one of the main reasons why there's so much activity and why we're here. That you have this opportunity to generate yield in a basically zero yield environment is one of the big drivers of growth in the space. And also why all these next-gen banks are looking to plug into DeFi applications. So I think, I, I, I think it, in some sense, the higher yields versus traditional markets is basically baked into crypto. And if that ever were to dissipate, uh, it would significantly impact it, uh, adoption, I think. And I mean, at, at least we've yeah. got plenty of time there, right? Like looking at the, the number of uh, users in DeFi. I mean, at some point, revenues will have to be distributed across a wider base. Um, so we just have to hope that by the time uh, yields kind of taper off significantly, uh, we've reached critical mass effectively. Because I think at the moment, DeFi, DeFi definitely is still dependent on that rates arbitrage. Why would you take smart contract risk if you're not being compensated well above TradFi averages? Well, some people, some people don't have an option. They don't have the choice between TradFi av averages. They just simply don't have access to TradFi. So, so I think that's, I think that's people, a fair point. I guess you could see it, yeah. see the third world kind of uh, adopting it more. But I think you know, obviously, if you look at total market caps of assets globally, um, I, I mean, in terms of liquid financial instruments, like I don't think uh, the third world. Uh, ranks very highly, basically. So I think in terms of, I mean, what we're interested in is is obviously market cap growth, technology growth. You know, the startups need to be funded. Um, I think I think that rates arbitrage is, is definitely going to play a key role over the next decade. I mean, yeah. from what it sounds like to me, I think that that sort of highlights an opportunity for a DeFi platform that is, you know, accessible, wide-reaching, secure you know, mitigating as much of the smart contract risk as possible. And maybe that means that the rate, you know, that you earn on your yield, instead of being, you know, 10,000% for, you know, for three months and then coming down to 1,000% and whatever, <laughs> maybe it can be something moderate, like 8%. That, that is I mean, Swissborg. So we have that. So Swissborg is an example of one of these apps which is abstracting away the complexity Um you deposit your crypto and obviously you earn less, but they basically spread your money across DeFi and they also have an insurance fund. And so hacks kind of disappear uh, into their monthly earnings. Um, so, so we do have these applications, uh, but underlying them is still a rates arbitrage. Yes. Yes. But I, I think, Luca, I think that's, um, it's just, I, cause I found myself, I was like, you know, I've, I've, I sort of pinched myself, you know, reminding myself saying, hey, like, why are you, why are you unhappy about getting, you know, 15% why, or 20%? Why do you want to instead go look for the thousand percent? It's like, you know, because I, I think I, Luca, I'd mentioned to you a while ago yes. <laughs> um, about like Olympus, Olympus Dow and like what you thought about it. Because I just seen stuff floating around on YouTube, thousand percent APY. It's like, I asked you about it and you said, Luca, like, <laughs> the bank is returning 0.01% interest to you, you know, and you're unhappy with 20% on Anchor. At the time, obviously, you know, Anchor was secure. Um, obviously, that's now imploded. And I think now I'm sort of thinking, flip, I'd take 10% if I knew my funds were, yeah. were safe. <laughs> you know, John T, we also had an interesting experience using uh, Elrond's platform, Maya Exchange. Do you remember when... Um, they launched their, 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 uh, their Maya exchange, and basically the APYs were like many thousands of percents, and we actually tried to play that. Um, yeah. We tried to play that, and it was not easy. Like, I don't, I'm not sure to this day whether I actually made any money. Um, but basically, uh, um, basically had a bunch of liquidity pools, very high APYs, and they were sustained for a few few days, maybe even two weeks or so. Um, they've tapered off now, of course. Uh, but it's really hard, actually, making money uh, in pools with these ridiculous APYs. And, and the reason is simply that the APY compensates you for the extraordinary risk. And speaking of Elrond, um, John, so I don't know if you noticed when you were uh, 
going through going through the report. But I was reading some Twitter replies to A16Z's uh, sort of introducing the report, and someone someone had noted, uh, you know, why was Elrond not included? Um, I don't know much about the ecosystem, but it then I then carried on reading further, and then you know there were actually I realized there were two notable omissions from the report. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this uh, in Polkadot and Cardano. Like, I know you're going to laugh at me saying Cardano, but obviously I do. I, I'm saying that in the sense that I, it then clicked for me that A16Z were literally pumping their bag through this report because you only see Ethereum, Solana, mostly AVAX, um, you know, I, th I think that was one of the slides about, you know, the top, top layer ones or whatever, you know, there was no mention of dot. There was no mention of Cardano. Again, I say that with an asterisk cause I know you're going to laugh at me, but you know, it's still, it's still, I, I, I still think it's unfair and it's unobjective. You know, they're not being objective by not mentioning a layer one that's been there since the beginning. That's still in the top 10, even through everything we've been through. And yes, we probably all think Cardano is going to fail and stuff. But I think, again, I'll say it again with everything that happened with Terra. I've, I think I've got this like scar tissue now that's making me second guess and question everything, which I think is a good thing as well. You know, so I, I don't know if you picked that up. Any any thoughts you have on that? Um, just about A16Z, you know, their conflicts of interests. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are there are VCs, so. <laughs> Um, yeah, look, enough said. Yeah, <laughs> enough said. <laughs> um, listen, mad respect, but they're a VC at the end of the day, so we've got to take everything with a pinch of salt. Um, but but I do I do think you know there's there's going to be an interesting shift in the O1 narrative. You know, obviously we make a lot of fun of Cardano and these other projects, and you know, going into the bear market structure that we're going into now, looking at the short term shorting opportunities. You know, net shorts on L1s could probably be a really strong play with super small portions of your account with high leverage, you know, low risk, high yield. You know, the the, the, the drawdown for L1s, another negative 90% drop from here is very, very, very possible. And I think what's going to be very interesting to see is which L1s are actually able to sustain their development, sustain their revenue models, considering there's no more frothy bull markets you know, phase. We know a lot of L1s launched into this bull market mania in 2020 and early 2021. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see which ones actually survive product development over the next couple months or years of, you know, slow sort of grinding markets with very, very, very little retail. So I think, I think we'll see, we'll, we'll see a huge shift basically. Um, yeah. My, my, my conviction here is, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and DOT are probably going to be the three to, I mean, Bitcoin, obviously, but I think Ethereum with the merge coming up um, is going to be very successful. I don't, I don't believe it's a price catalyst, but I, I do think that it's going to be a strong shift in this narrative of proof of stake, even though proof of stake is now starting, starting to, you know, highlight some, some concerns for people. Um, but I do think that Polkadot is heavily undervalued. And I think what they're doing is, is going to be a game changer over the coming years. And they, they, yeah, there, there's been no attention on that project since the parachains went live November last year. You know, it's it's down from its $55 all-time high. Um, listen, there's no reason why it can't go back to $2, but I think DOTS is definitely one to keep an eye on over the next two years. It's a good place to end. And I, and I just think uh, in crypto, if we've learned anything over the past two weeks <laughs> or three weeks, uh, expect the unexpected. Right. Uh, exactly. And, let's, and let's, see, let's see if Solana can, can still be relevant, uh, you know, by cutting their, their operating time in half, only operating nine to five. Q, I think you stole, <laughs> you stole the show with that quote. Yeah. That, was, that, was, that was brilliant. <laughs> that was brilliant. Um, but yeah, boys, any uh, closing, closing thoughts? I mean, you've already said what's on your on your shopping list it's a, we're not in a bull run now so we can't uh, we can't be talking about uh you know dipping our toes into shiba or, or something else right now uh stick to the fundamentals just just on a just on a speculative stage you guys see that 70 percent pump in phantom because people suspect no? that Craig is coming back yeah phantom oh literally pumped from 25 cents to 55 
Um, sorry, yeah, it was, it was yeah, like 60, 60%. Um, because Andre Cronier submitted code to GitHub based on the FUSD or USDF, whatever the stablecoin for Phantom is. So people on the speculation that Andre Cronier is back in Phantom, the price has boomed from a low of 25 cents to a high of 55 yesterday. It's down back to 44 today, but it's just very, very interesting to see in, in, in light of the depreciating valuations from most L1s, Phantom has this crazy, crazy spike in a speculation sense, considering the conditions. Um, maybe we've got a bit more hope for retail. <laughs> Wait, when you, John T, when you said Andre Cronia, I just heard Duke one. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Only, only time will tell. Only time will tell. Right, boys. Episode 27 in the bag. Uh, we'll see everyone for episode 28. Join the Discord if you haven't already. Uh, we've, we've said enough about that. Johns, good luck with your uh, keynote this week. Let us know how it goes. We'll, we'll, we're expecting a report back uh, next week. And uh, <laughs> Luca, I'll, I'll see you in a week and a half in Norway. Q, I'll, also, I'll see you there. Uh, don't know how you're getting there, but <laughs> Boys, we'll, gonna, we'll see you there. I'm going to smuggle myself in the, in the underbelly of the jet. <laughs> yeah, just stow away. Stow, stow away. You can, you can travel to, you can get a quick, uh, quick Schengen visa, come to, or quick UK visa, come here, stow away with me, and we'll, we'll head to Norway to see Luca. Sounds good. <laughs> Looking forward to having you guys this side. Cool, boys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the episode. Thanks for everyone who tuned in live, and uh, we will see everyone for episode 28. Next week, live, same time, same place. Cheers, everyone.